I didn't want to hold an hour long or two hour long teacher training where you come in and give you a lesson plan. We talk about it. I wanted to make it a venture. I wanted the teachers to get something out of it. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So in today's episode of Learning Unboxed, we have a special treat because we get to go back to um, the profession that's near and dear to my heart. As all of our listeners know, we get to talk about archaeology today. In particular, we are going to be talking about archaeology in the community and the efforts that it takes to get meaningful programming, access, and opportunity into communities as it relates to archaeology and your local history. And joining us today is Dr. Alexandra Jones, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Archaeology in the Community. And she is also an education leader focused on community outreach and service. She's been an educator in the uh, in her community for more than 16 years, and she's taught across the spectrum um, in terms of this sort of educational environment from primary school, um, secondary, post-secondary, formal, informal museums and communities. So, Alexandra, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we're going to have a fun conversation. I, You know, it is one of those things near and dear when we get to talk about archaeology, especially how kids in particular um, can learn about their world um, through that. I get a lot of pushback all the time because, you know, uh, our past work, there is so much of that as STEM and our origin story is about archaeology because in my mind, archaeology is the best example of STEM and STEM education you could possibly find. So what do you think about that? We'll start with that. <laughs> I Definitely concur. I think oftentimes when people think archaeology, they think only um, science, digging in the dirt. And we start to explain to people so much more than that. Mm. Like, um, it is the science. We start there. But then the technology, looking at all the different types of technologies we utilize, then looking historically, we study mm-hmm. technologies of people in the past. Engineering, you can't have homes, you can't have buildings, mm-hmm. you can't have cities without the people that create it. So we study the formation of those. So we include that as well. And math. Mm-hmm. At the base of everything right we do, whether it is, you know, <laughs> digging an excavation pit and plotting it out or the formulas that we use within archaeology. So STEM is very much part of archaeology and it's at the forefront of it. And I just oftentimes think people don't make those connections. I think they don't. I think they get confused by the fact that archaeology is wrapped up so much in story because it's the way we present it to the public, that they forget that it's actually a very meticulous endeavor that's so science rich and it's rigorous. And there's so much data. I mean, the data alone, you and I could have that whole nother conversation. How much stuff do you come back from the field with? Well, it's epic. And sometimes it takes years for us to get through it all. And that's okay, too. So... I want us to spend um, today, though, largely talking about the organization that you created, Archaeology in the Community. And I want you to sort of share with us the why. Why start the organization? But more importantly, at the heart of that, why was it so desperately needed? So I started the organization, uh, well, we're about to be 14 in another month, um, 14 years ago. (laughs) Um, And it was... A need that I saw. I was a graduate student at the time mm-hmm. um, at Berkeley. 
Um, one of the great things at the time when I got there was that they had outreach credits that all students had to do as part mm-hmm. of uh, their training. And I went out and um, visited a school and did a project. And it just bothered me weirdly that the teacher said to all of us, I'll see you next semester. And it wasn't the fact that hmm. uh, we were coming back that bothered me. It was the fact that with such confidence, the teacher knew that archaeologists would be back in the classroom. And I knew I grew up in a region in an area where that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Teachers don't have access to archaeologists. They don't know that mm-hmm. if they come one semester, they'll come the next. And I just decided to fix that. I mean, I want it back for, you know, where I grew up as much as, you know, for everybody else. And so I just talked with my advisor and said that I wouldn't do my outreach anymore in California. I would only do it in D.C. Okay. And for me, it just kind of made sense. I'm Mm -hmm. a child of a parent who's a curator at the Smithsonian. Um, And to grow up in Mm -hmm. the shadow of the Smithsonian and know that we didn't have access like that to archaeology, I just kind of made it a vow to change it. And from Mm -hmm. that kind of snowballed and blossomed into (laughs) what became the nonprofit with our main focus initially being youth education Mm -hmm. in the um, D.C. kind of metropolitan area. Yeah. And that's an absolutely amazing endeavor. And, you know, having started a nonprofit, I I just want to make sure that everybody understands that is not a small undertaking. You know, they're they're passion projects. You do it out of your heart. It takes years, literally, for most. I mean, there are a few out there that are super, super lucky. Um, In archaeology, it's kind of tough to kind of get a toehold and to start to, to, to rally and actually get the funds so that it can become your primary work, not not a passion project on the side because you, you got to pay the bills and do, do the work. It's not easy. Um, and so the fact that it, you knew it wasn't easy, I have no doubt you, you knew you had been in and around archaeology long enough at that point, and especially having grown up, you know, with a parent in the Smithsonian, you also understood how hard it is to get historical endeavors funded no matter what, right? Yeah, uh, yes, I know. <laughs> I would say I still I think I was the starry eyed um I'm gonna save the world uh graduate student because I was still in graduate yeah, student uh, yeah. school when it started. Um so I, I would say part of it was that oh if I build it they will come mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. moment that I had. Mm-hmm. And they did. Um I just never really imagined or envisioned it would be as hard. And I right. think as most kind of stepping away for a second, people as a nonprofit, you also forget it's a business right. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and most struggles that entrepreneurs have and mm-hmm. the the moments of questioning, is this worth it? And yep. should I keep going? And one hug at a time. And I think for any educator, mm-hmm. you kind of understand what that means, but it would literally be the hugs that I got from my students yeah. and the appreciation that they showed for learning about archaeology or mm-hmm. telling me that they would want to become an archaeologist made it worth it. And that's that's kind of the pay. And that's how mm-hmm. I kind of kept mm-hmm. going is, mm-hmm. you know, it would take one hug for me to be like, oh, I can keep doing this at the same moment that I'd be like, I don't, this is crazy. What am yeah. I doing? Yeah. Um, but we are here and we're thriving. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because I think I still kind of tell my staff, like it, it's the it's the gleam. It's that mm-hmm. little spark that mm-hmm. you see in the students' mm-hmm. eyes that actually pay for what we do um, and keep us going and keep us motivated. So if you see that spark and you see that light bulb go off, you'll know what you're doing is the thing that you should be doing. And I, I think 
that's why I'm still here. That's why we're still here. It is a passion, Mm -hmm. um, not just a job. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a tough space because I agree with you hundred percent. Right. I mean, I remember those first few years, um, you know, it passed and I remember the, the years of, um, doing that while also being a university professor and all of those different sort of pieces. And, you know, you're still in that space as well. So, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, the, the joyous moment comes where you get to the, or at least for me, um, where, you know, the transition can be made that becoming, being a university professor was the secondary role. Right. And so, but it, it took a lot of time, energy and effort. And I also agree with, with you that, you know, folks, I think oftentimes misunderstand the whole nonprofit, especially those of us in the midst of running them, because I tell my staff all the time, not for profit doesn't mean not for money because you all want a paycheck. Right. So, so we have to, at some point, be able to also recognize the endeavor and the work from that sort of entrepreneurship lens, the business and industry lens, and then the opportunity that all of that affords us to deliver high quality programming back into the community. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I applaud you for that because that that's a really hard thing to learn, especially uh, for lots of folks involved in nonprofit or startup who are not trained in business. I mean, I, I can't yeah. speak for you, but certainly for me, I mean, you know, I had to figure out what a lot of the business lingo was just to even be able in the early years to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. Right. Um, so that's a, that's a tough thing to do. I want to also sort of dig in a little bit then on the programming itself, Alexandra. And, 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 and I want to get into the weeds, if you will, of the kinds of programming that you do and how it actually intersects in an educational environment, whether it's informal or formal, doesn't make any difference. So share with us a little bit about sort of the dream or the the passion for the programming itself? So I very much wanted a sustainable archaeology uh, project. And um, for those who aren't archaeologists, sustainable archaeology is like a theoretical perspective about how you approach Mm -hmm. archaeology, looking at four kind of subsections, uh, social, cultural, economic, um, and environmental, so ecological. Um, And as I developed programming, my first thing was I want students to grow up Um, understanding archaeology, knowing what it was, knowing um, what it does and how it's important to us Mm. uh, as a community and uh, as a nation and as global citizens. But what I also realized was, um, and most people don't know, my background actually is in education. So Mm -hmm. I was a substitute teacher for a while. I ended up with my own sixth grade for a year um, and then kind of went from there into graduate school. I also understood the lack of resources and support for the everyday classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as much as our administrations, our, our you know education system tries, it, there's, there's a disconnect oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And so what I didn't want to do is be that person who created more material that put more of a burden on classroom teachers. So as somebody who'd been there, I thought, well, I need to create a program where I come in for teachers. I'm not Mm -hmm. asking you to learn archaeology. I'm not asking you to go to a teacher training and memorize a whole new lesson plan and figure out how to incorporate it. I want to do that work for you. So when we initially started out, it was free programming Mm -hmm. where we would come in and, you know, we basically pitched it to the teachers. This is a 45 minute period where you can just sit in the back. You don't have to do do something else. (laughs) Right. I'm a master at classroom management. So I know how to wrangle the kitties. Go enjoy yourself for like 45 minutes. And if you want to listen in, you can, you know, do whatever. But this is how we kind of started out um, Mm -hmm. and very grassroots. I Mm -hmm. marketed to just teachers, not Mm -hmm. to the administration, not to the schools, 
um, and just that it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, what then started to happen is there were a lot of teachers who got really excited about it, mm-hmm. who really loved uh, the program, loved what they saw the opportunities were. So we partnered um, with one teacher in particular in DC and created a week long program. Oh, and it was essentially for a week, it was 45 minutes every day uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> where she loved it, but she would sit in the back and grade papers or do mm-hmm. something else. But mm-hmm. we took over and it was kind of the science period for the students. And we ended up having on a Saturday, a mock excavation. Mm-hmm. So we brought them in. Um, we asked parents to volunteer. We had a grill there. Parents were grilling and barbecuing <laughs> hot dogs and hamburgers. Um, the students were excavating. At the end of it, the following um, week, we came back and they created a small site report. Mm. And so it was two prong in our approach. One, we recognize that students love, if they really love something, they're going to go home and tell their parents. Mm -hmm. And so parents, when they showed up on Saturday, were already kind of curious, but then they got to watch the excavation happen. And as parents, they would come over and ask questions themselves. Mm So it was a way to actually fill a gap of intergenerational mm-hmm. um, and, and bringing two different generations into archaeology, one through the delight of the parents saying, you know, their kids being so excited about mm-hmm. doing this, but two, mm-hmm. the children feeling like they could actually share something um, with their parents as well. And then the scientific side. So, you know, we have all mm-hmm. the fun. Oftentimes, as archaeologists, we say these are mock digs, these are pits. But we don't let them do the rigor. So it was the fact that they had to pull it all together, synthesize it, and do that work of writing a report. I love that piece, by the way, because that's fabulous, right? And you're right. That is the thing in all kinds of, whether it's archaeology or biology or whatever, oftentimes kids go have a great experience, but they have no idea then what what the backside of that is. And that's masterful. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was awesome to kind of do that, but also to get them to think interpretively about the different yeah. layers and the artifacts they found and what's taking place and can we find dates. So they did all of that um, for their reports. From that project, we just we just kept growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, once people saw it, once we started advertising, and it was the fact that it was free. Yeah. And that was something that has always been near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. is that all of the youth programs are absolutely 100% free. If you want it, we'll come. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I then started to notice was there was a professional development demand. As archaeology is growing and flourishing, what we are seeing is that there are a lot of college students, professional archaeologists who have no experience in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And what I started to get was uh, interesting conversations from colleagues about how they just took their students in and their students bombed. Yeah. And yeah. kids were bored <laughs> or the kids were like <laughs> running amok. And, you know, I would laugh because I would be like, oh, so you have no classroom management skills. Uh-huh. Did you pay attention to how the teacher called the students together? Mm-hmm. What were the signals? Was it a hand raise? Was mm-hmm. it a one, two, three? And so things yeah. that we learned. I think as educational mm-hmm. specialists, you know, having done that, they have no clue. And then right. terminology, mm-hmm. something as simple as language. Right. Uh, they were speaking so far over the you know, children's heads mm-hmm. that the children can grasp the concept. Mm-hmm. So I started training um, professional, young career professionals, uh, graduate students, how to do this work. So you could come in, mm-hmm. have an internship you'll actually help create lesson plans. So you understand what educators go through. You will run the class and I'll be in the back. And if I see that, oh, the language is going too far left or, you know, everybody's Mm -hmm. not paying attention, you know, I would kind of help and coax and bring that back while still keeping the burden off of the classroom teacher um, themselves so that they could kind of enjoy that freedom 
and then some oftentimes what I recognized was they were just as excited. Yeah. Um, and we're actually learning things mm-hmm. right along with the students. And interestingly enough, that became the new project uh, that we put forth. And looking at what was offered currently to classroom teachers, again, I, mm-hmm. I always go back to myself. I was just like, I didn't want to hold an hour long or two hour long teacher training where you yeah. come in and give you a lesson mm-hmm. plan. We talk about it. I wanted to make it a venture. Mm-hmm. I wanted the teachers to get something out of it. And so about six years ago, we partnered with Mount Pillar. Yeah. And we created our signature uh, teacher training and we mm-hmm. mashed together something that they had been doing and something, you know, the, the teacher training. And what we did was we created uh, what we call the, the teacher excavation kind of dig, learn and serve. Mm-hmm. And the teachers come out to Mount Pillar. We, uh, AITC uh, was able to secure scholarships. So it was completely free for teachers. Mm-hmm. So for one week, they came essentially on a, a, a mini vacation yeah. to Mount Pillar. They excavated in the morning, worked in the lab, had tours, um, personalized tours all throughout the property each day. Mm-hmm. And then we would come in and I would give lesson plans, but it would be skeleton lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And I would sit with them and say, let's look at your region. Let's look at what you're teaching. Let me help you apply this to what you're doing. So that you're not doing this heavy lift when you go back. We've already created stuff. We've already created partnerships. Let me give you a couple of things that I've done myself. Let's think about how we can incorporate. So spending that time with them Mm -hmm. and then them getting intimately ingrained with archaeology, us creating videos together so they Mm -hmm. can send pictures back to their students and show their students that they too were archaeologists for a little bit, Mm -hmm. really transformed the project, but it also increased our capacity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And my biggest thing Mm -hmm. was that if every summer I teach 15 students, I mean, 15, excuse me, teachers, and every year those 15 teachers are going out and teaching 100 to 120, depending on Mm -hmm. the the setup of their Mm -hmm. school students, the impact of archaeology is growing exponentially fast and way more than just me going into the classroom. Mm -hmm. And these were teachers who were willing to kind of do that work or had that time or were um, able to develop what they wanted to do in that week long. And then they also came out with 40 uh, continuing education credits. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I also just saved them time during the school year where they didn't have to go out and do, you know, or attend things on Saturdays. They're now freed up because of this program and they didn't spend anything because it was yeah. completely paid for, um, yeah. for them to, to do it. So I'm constantly trying to think of ways, um, mm-hmm. where I, I make life easier on teachers, uh, while helping them do this, while passing along the message of archeology span and really in, in imparting how important this is, um, you know, to the study of social sciences, literature, uh, math, um, mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, kind of the everyday core of everything that we teach. Art teachers even find it. You know, we talk about art and archaeology mm-hmm. and how you can incorporate that as well. So I just don't oftentimes think people think archaeology um, is exciting or kind of affords as many opportunities as it does um, yeah. for teaching and getting kids to like really get excited 
about different subjects. Absolutely. You can teach anything through archaeology, but you know, we're, you and I are biased, but that's okay. But, <laughs> but I do believe um, passionately um, in that. And, and I love the fact that you found a way to bring the teachers in. We, we do that frequently too. We refer to that as immersive PD, recognizing the same sorts of things, right? Teachers are tired, right? Teachers are tired on so many different levels and just one more PD to learn just this thing, or it's just an extra thing I need to do. And so we spend a lot of time at past, you know, whether it's an archaeology or it's botany or it's, you know, physics, it doesn't make any difference to us either robots. We do a lot of stuff with robots at past. Um, you know, and the reality of it is if we can, we can find a meaningful way to share the joy of whatever that science, that topic is, right? By immersing, um, you know, educators in the experience of how they could then apply that through their own lens and their own experience into their own classroom with their own kids, because they know that community better than we will ever be able to know that particular community. That's that's magic. And to your point earlier, that's when you see the aha, the light bulb, the passion. You know, for me, I always know it's an incredible win when our educators come back. It doesn't matter what program we're offering, they're the first to sign up. I mean, honestly, sometimes when you know one of those great joys, you know, as you pointed out, is is you know, a week we can offer a program about archaeology, and the next week we could offer one about um, bugs, and you know, the following week we could offer one um, about you know, lean six, um, you know, and 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 manufacturing, you know, processes. And, and if you have a teacher that doesn't matter what experience you're providing to them, they'll say, I want to do that thing because I'm going to learn something. And whether I ever use it in my classroom or not, I'm going to step away with this knowledge base that I can share with my kids and, I, and a mechanism to be able to apply it. And I think that the other thing that I love about the work that that archaeology in the community is doing and your work in particular is that you're trying to tap into those passions. I know you didn't necessarily use that use that phrase in our conversation yet today, but it's it's written all over you, right? That if you can inspire a kid, whether they become an archaeologist or not, but you just inspire them to want to learn more and to engage in their own education, we have changed the world. And I, I often tell people I I don't have a, a superpower, quote unquote, but the only power I do have is archaeology. Yeah. And I use that in every facet of my life to try and change the world in whatever capacity mm-hmm. um, that is that that I can do. And so, you know, we've we've with AITC have even found other ways of helping mm-hmm. and, um, you know, getting the larger community involved in archaeology and teaching them about the importance of that mm-hmm. as well. And, and I think that's what makes it so amazing is we started with just the small vision of changing, you know, kids yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. children and, yeah. and like helping them out. And then we've just kind of just kept going because we mm-hmm. see that, you know, there's so much more, you know, you start with the youngest generation, but you want to get the next generation mm-hmm. and how do you get the other generation and yeah. how do we all start to learn together collaboratively, you know, and change like how we operate and how we see the world. So mm-hmm. I love that very much. And I always also love the fact that um, the the mechanism by which you're able to get the community to engage with you in that process. So, you know, those Saturday excavations, parents coming in and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I you know, I can't tell you how many times I've received that phone call from a parent or, or the, my favorite one is when I get the phone call from a school principal. What on earth are you guys doing to our kids, right? Because parents are calling me and they're saying, oh my God, that was wonderful. My kid just spent an hour telling me about everything that they did today when most of the time when you ask them, how was school? All I get is fine. 
you know, <laughs> but instead the kid is just yakking at you a mile a minute. And you're like, what, what's happening here? And the answer is you're engaging those kids. That's what's happening. It doesn't matter what the topic is. And I, I think that's important. Um, one of our, our kind of newer projects, we've kind of come out of the school mm-hmm. and we have an archaeology club and we've, um, been able to secure a grant for it for the past five years. Mm-hmm. And what and the grant has allowed us again to make yeah. it 100% free. That's great. Um, which is always like the important yeah. part. So for me, it's um, we we bring them in on uh, Sundays. They come in, they have an hour and a half. We bring mm-hmm. in archaeologists literally internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had the ability to take them on virtual tours of Harvard museums. We've taken them to the Nat Geo Museum. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part about our field trips is we bring the parents. Oh, so great. every time we have a field trip, I secure tickets for the parents. And there are always these you know, nice exclusive moments. We went to Mount Vernon. Uh-huh. And they allowed us to excavate with them. Oh. Parents were super excited. <laughs> they get to engage. And what ended up happening was we, um, social media, mm-hmm. we were seeing tweets from parents. I had one uh, parent who was super excited, like going on my archaeology field trip today. Yeah. And I, it, you know, it just kind of tickled us that this is your child's field trip, but the parents started to relate to it so much. And then, you know, talking about, oh my gosh, my daughter got to eat her homework tonight. Ooh, her (laughs) archaeology homework incorporated snacks and food, you know? So it would be those sort of things where they would make these comments on Twitter and then like tag us in it so that we could see that they were just equally as excited Mm -hmm. about it and were posting on their Instagram accounts and everything else, Mm -hmm. the things that they were doing with their kids and activities. And that became truly transformative to just yeah. see the impact that we were having, but the sheer joy yeah. that the parents were also experiencing <laughs> as a result of the programs we were creating for their children. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the, all the magic happens. It's when you get that very, very inclusive community that's engaged in whatever the project is you happen to be doing. I, for me, I, that's where I find you know the greatest depth of meaning and I think long-term impact. And again, the thing that I've certainly seen and I assume that you've seen as well is there's so many repeat customers, if you would, right? Because they're engaged and they love it so much. They're like, you know, watching and monitoring And, you know, it's really funny because, and I hadn't really put it a lot sort of into context, but several years ago, I I, I sort of used this crazy benchmark, you know, how do you know when you've arrived, right? In this whole nonprofit crazy world, you know, and it is way beyond just the sustainability from the financial side that that, it's such an epic lift. But, but for me, it was, you know, when, you know, January 1 rolled around and parents were calling starting on January 2nd, right? When everybody's back in the office or whatever that date happens to be. And they're like, okay, have you opened the summer programming yet? Can we register? Like, when we release that till the end of the month at the earliest, which we moved up, you know, because we used to be, oh, April's good enough, you know, you know, and oh, no, 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 no. Parents have, you know, fully figured out where or what's going to happen with their kiddos. And, and it's the, the same folks over and over and over again. And the same kid not coming to one program in the summer, but coming for five or six weeks of programming in the summer. It's like, okay, now we found that that sweet spot where it really, really appeals to, to all the stakeholders. I always like to close the programming and the conversation, Alexandra, with recognizing that people um, listen to this program, you know, from all over the world and they're sitting here and they're listening to you tell this amazing story of these 
awesome opportunities, but we don't have Alexandra Jones in our community. So how can we um, find or create these these opportunities for ourselves? Um, Can we get access to archaeology in the community from afar? Or how would we go about um, taking what we heard today and applying it to our own children's experiences? So even though AICC was started as a regional organization, Mm -hmm. um, we have expanded internationally. Uh, We've Mm -hmm. done programs in Belize with the Institute of Archaeology there. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also done work in Haiti. Um, And so we've kind of expanded. And I do one-off programs. So I often Mm -hmm. say, just because you're somewhere else, it doesn't really matter to me where in the world you're Mm -hmm. at. If you're interested in a program where we can help, we do. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we started to expand because of COVID. Our Mm -hmm. uh, virtual offerings. Right. So we have a new set of lesson plans that will be going up in March um, with videos included. So again, always thinking about not requiring teachers to have to do everything. So we're expanding our digital offerings that line up with lesson plans. So the teacher can just play a video versus um, having to learn all new material. So our virtual offerings are going up, but we also have virtual field school. Um, And so our uh, archaeology club, which traditionally has been in person, went virtual two years ago. Mm-hmm. And we had international students attending it. Um, so I, I do say for my parents, for my teachers, if there is something that you're interested in, it is something that you would like to participate in, please visit our website, um, which is www.archaeologyincommunity.com um, and look for our offerings, um, but email me. And, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to collaborate and to, you know, to brainstorm, to help facilitate and think through a project. I talk with a number of teachers and email with them all the time mm-hmm. about how to incorporate based on what subject. And then um, the other thing is that I have international connections with archaeologists. So yeah. if I personally can't help you. I am very sure that I can refer you to or send you to someone who can assist and be of help in your region yeah. or part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And we will, um, when we release this episode, we will post all the links um, and materials, um, you know, um, with the episode. So please, I hope that um, any of you that are interested will take a look at those links. You will download the information. And if you still have questions, desires, or wants, that you will reach out to uh, Alexandra so she can help bring um, archaeology into your community and archaeology into your classroom and inspire the next generation of folks that are that are being mindful of the world no matter what career they go into that's one of the things and i think that was one of the reasons for us why we you know you always you always um, launch with what you know, right? And of course, as an archaeologist, that's where I'm going to lead. But I very, very quickly found, though, that it became this great opportunity because everybody loves it. Even if they don't know they love it, the reality is it becomes this, this mechanism, this synergy by which you could have incredible conversations. And at the end of the day, stewards um, for the work that we do. So um, thank you so much for joining us today, Alexandra. And thank you um, for the incredible work that you're doing. It's, it's so desperately needed and it's joyous. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I've been very excited uh, to talk with past about this. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.